Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6 today. John chapter 6 for our Bible study. I'm glad you're all here today. There's about a third of the church that's on vacation, but I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. For those listening online as well, glad to have you. So John chapter 6, first 14 verses with this incredible account on the feeding of the 5,000. Here John writes this, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. And now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, well, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this in it is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. So when you were in school, did you enjoy pop quizzes? Did you like pop quizzes? No, nobody likes a pop quiz, let's be honest. Several years ago, I, I had a pop quiz. I've had a lot over the years, I'm sure like you have, but I remember one particular pop quiz that I had. Um, at the church we were at, we are getting ready for a, a Mother's Day banquet, and I was sent to the store to, to go buy some sherbet and some ice. And I had those two, you know, big gallon buckets of, you know, sherbet over here, and, and I had two bags of ice. And, and I'm checking out, and it turned out uh, the person I was checking out with it just happened to be one of my students from the college I was teaching at. And so we're kind of talking, and right in the middle of this conversation, as I'm checking out with all my ice-cold things, uh, somebody comes running into the store. There's been a horrible accident out in the parking lot. You need to call 911. And I'm like, oh, well, that's too bad, you know. I'm sorry to hear that there's been a bad accident. I, I didn't think much of it. Uh, I, I, I know people who are first responders. As a pastor, I'm a last responder, right? I show up after it's all tidied up, and I'll pray for you. Uh, but uh, first responders, you don't want me to be there first. I will pass out, okay? So whatever's going on, that's not good. So anyway, I'm checking out, and I'm just thinking, well, that's too bad. There's something going on. I go outside the store, and there's, you know, boy, there's an ambulance, and uh, there's some police officers, and 
and a bunch of people over in this one area, and it's in the area where I'd park my car. Huh. Start walking over there. As I get closer, I come to realize that it looks like my car that I parked it was a part of whatever took place here. And uh, what had happened was an older gal was in her car and had parked in one of the handicapped spots, and she was getting ready to drive away, and she went forward where they had one of those handicapped standards with the concrete base, you know what I'm talking about? And she got hung up on one of those, and, she, so she, and it wouldn't go. Her car wasn't going, so she just floored it. And she finally pushed that thing out of the way, and she went careening down the aisle and about, nailed about five cars down the road, of which mine was the last one. Now, mind you, her car never hit mine, but the velocity by which she hit the car next to mine into my car, it, it took that car and threw it up into my car, and now my, my Dodge Caravan with the cool built-in car seats for my kids, the back left you know, quarter panels totally smashed in. And uh, I, I, I'm holding cold things. I'm looking at my car. And I, this is what I, I looked up and go, I'm not sure why you want your car smashed today. A little pop quiz. Back when I was younger, I would have had other thoughts. But over, year, over the years, the Lord was training me and teaching me. And now the question is, what's going to be my response with this pop quiz. As we're going to see today, we need to be ready for spiritual pop quizzes. We shouldn't be surprised by God's testing. God tests us to demonstrate our obedience to him. God tests us to demonstrate our devotion to him. God's ultimate purpose in testing us is to humble and bless us. And so we should count it all joy when God offers us a pop quiz God already has the solutions to our problems, and God's economy is bigger than ours. God can overcome our insufficient funds, and God can overcome our insufficient resources. And ultimately, God can handle all our difficult circumstances as we follow his direction, as we thank him for his provision, as we receive his abundant supply, as we exercise good stewardship over his provision, as we acknowledge him as the source of our provision. Our message series is that you may believe. Today we're focusing on resting in God's provision. And it's the discussion about the feeding of the 5,000. Here in John's gospel, written by John, perhaps the very best friend of Jesus during his earthly ministry. But before we get into the message, I want to point out four initial observations for us to look at here. In verse 1, notice what it said. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Well, after this, well, he was down in Jerusalem previously. Now we can throw a map up there for you. And now we're moving north from Jerusalem, which is on the bottom left-hand side there, just left of the Dead Sea, going north up to the Sea of Galilee, sometimes called the Sea of Tiberias because of the city of Tiberias on the west side of this huge freshwater a body of water. And so that's where we are. But secondly, notice there's a large crowd in verse 2 was following him because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. See, we see this motivation of this crowd. Paul's conclusion when Paul was deserted in the middle of his ministry that, gee whiz, uh, people are only following for their own interests. For they all seek their own interests, Paul suggested, as people were wandering away from his ministry. 
and not those of Jesus Christ. And the question we have here for us is, why are we following Jesus this morning? Why are we even here? What are you seeking from him? Many people follow after Jesus for what they can get out of him and not because of who he is and what he's done for us already. I'd like to remind you that the reason we ought to follow comes down to what Jesus had to say as he told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We need to follow him for what he has already done for us and not for what we think we can manipulate out of him. We need, to, we need to be simply willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after him. But these were following because they saw signs, that's what it says. The third observation is Jesus himself in verse 3. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, I want you to watch the context of this whole passage here. According to the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Right before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus actually had received some horrible news. Horrible news? What horrible news had he received? Jesus had just heard about the reality that his dear relative and friend, John the Baptist, had been murdered. You can find that in Mark chapter 6, 14 through 29. Herod had John put to death. And if you'll recall, then... Herod paraded John's head on a platter at a dinner party. This guy is sick, demented. And so after hearing about this, Jesus is just longing to get away from it all. And in Mark's gospel, you read in verse 31, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. He just wanted to get away. We've all been there where we're overwhelmed. Jesus is overwhelmed. I just, let's go up on the mountain. Let's get away from the crowds for a minute, guys. We all need a break sometimes for rest, for refreshment, vacation, sabbatical, a walk in a park, a big nap. By the way, I have the gift of naps. I'm really good at them. Perhaps a good book, some good friends. We don't realize that in the midst of Jesus getting ready to offer this pop quiz, he is really a man who's hurting, even though he's the son of God. But notice the circumstance in verse 4. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand, and lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, it says, in Mark's gospel, we see Jesus' response to this large crowd. And I want you to notice Jesus' compassion in the midst of his pain. In Mark 6.34, this is what we read. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This blows my mind. Here's Jesus just a few minutes ago was trying to get away from everybody. And now, okay, it's time to go back and do ministry. He comes down and there's all these people. And he knows that they're not there for the right reasons. They're there to see more signs and miracles. They're not there to see him. You know, hey, here's Aunt Millie. Can you heal her? I mean, that, this is, they're, they're there for what they want. But not for who he is. And our text reads, in Mark, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. 
this is incredible. You mean I can yet have compassion for people who don't get it even when I'm hurting? Yes, we can choose to do that. That's exactly what Jesus did. It said, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. 5,000 men plus women and children in all likelihood. This crowd could easily be 10, 20,000 people. People making their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Passover caravans with you know, all their entourage of animals and, and their kids and family. The ultimate irony here, these pilgrims who were traveling from all over the known world were, were, were bringing their own Passover lambs. And now they're sitting down before the Passover lamb himself, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is all by way of introduction in terms of where we're going with this. The stage is now set. We're going to look at four spiritual truths today, but before we study, let's ask God's help. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we demonstrate and acknowledge that we are a needy people. And Lord, we need to hear from you today, not from this speaker. We need to hear what you have to say. And so, God, we ask that you would move in our midst, that you would touch our hearts and lives by the power of your word as we encounter it, as your spirit brings significance to our hearts through your word, through your power. So, Lord, we just ask that you would move, that you would touch our hearts, that you would draw us to yourself through our time in your word today. Lord, we thank you for each one that's here to hear this, knowing full well that no one is here by accident, but by your sovereign hand, we now gather to hear what you have to say. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Help us not to miss anything. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. Now, if you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth. Beloved, we need to be ready for spiritual pop quizzes. It's at this point in verse 4 and 5, lifting up his eyes, he then, seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, he then said to Philip, and here comes the pop quiz, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, it says. Interesting question, a little pop quiz time for Philip. Shouldn't he have asked, where are we going to get all the money to buy all this food for all these people? Instead, he asked, where should we buy it? Surely Jesus knew that they didn't have enough financial resources to buy all the food that would be needed for so many people, but he approaches Philip in all likelihood because Philip was familiar with the area. But the truth is this, first of all here, we shouldn't be surprised by God's testing at all. We shouldn't be surprised by God's testing Peter writes, Peter, one of the 12 disciples, tells us, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. God purposes to test us, to grow us and mature us. We shouldn't be surprised. God is at work. This shouldn't be something that's strange happening to us. So when my car is smashed, I'm supposed to conclude, well, this isn't strange. It's okay. It's his car anyway. He wants it smashed. That's his business. Instead of being surprised, it says we should rejoice. We'll get to that theme in just a moment. 
but we shouldn't be surprised. But secondly here, God tests us to demonstrate our obedience to him. He's looking at our faithfulness meter. Deuteronomy 8.2, we're told this, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years as God speaks to a new people group. Remember, the old generation had passed away in the wilderness, and now this new generation is going to take the, the promised land. And so you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Sometimes the test is about, are you going to be faithful? Will you choose obedience are you going to walk in a biblical way, or are you going to try to strike out, try to get your way to happen, move against what God has to say in rebellion? We shouldn't be surprised by God's testing. God's te God tests us to demonstrate our obedience to him, but thirdly here, God tests us to demonstrate our devotion to him. <clears throat> Further, in Deuteronomy 13.3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Sometimes God tests us, hey, how committed are you? Are you, really, are, you, are you all in with me? But fourthly, God's ultimate purpose in testing us is to humble and bless us. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 8.16. God who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Excuse me. <coughs> A little scratchy throat. Is it possible that he's trying to grow you and mature you, humbling you through the test? Of course, James concludes that we should count it all joy when God offers us a pop quiz James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And you know, we don't want to do that. We want to be angry. We want to be bitter. We want to be annoyed at how things are going. We don't like the circumstance. Hey, stop that. He says, count it all joy. Why? Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, Notice how it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. It's not if you meet trials, it's when. You're going to meet them. And by the way, they're going to be all kinds. When you meet trials of various kinds, all kinds of trials and difficulties, you know, stripe, checkered, polka dot, they're all going to be different. Remember, he's not out to destroy you, but rather he's out to perfect and complete you. Of course, the alternative to testing is to have no tests at all. You could live in a world where there's no tests, which means there will be no growth, no maturity. You'll recall in Genesis 22, God tested Abraham concerning his only son, Isaac. When Abraham was approached, what was his response? In Genesis 22:1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Is that your response to testing? Could you talk to someone else? Could you test them, please? No, here I am. Test me. When you are tested, will you say, here I am? 
are you ready for your next pop quiz? Incidentally, there is a final exam coming. You know, I'm a college professor, and so I give quizzes and papers are due. And then at the very end, there's this thing called the final. Some students call it the finally. No, but it's the final, where I'm going to find out whether you know anything about the whole course. The final exam. Will you be ready for it from all the ways you deal with the pop quizzes? What is Jesus asking of you today? In what way is he testing you? Even right now, perhaps you're going through it right now. Uh, by the way, if you're not going through it right now, don't worry, there's one coming. It's coming. Is he testing you this morning in your provision, in your marriage, with your kids? Are you dealing with loneliness, fear, friendships that have gone the wrong way, your own health? Jesus is asking if you are willing to trust him today. Can you say, here I am. I'm going to trust you. But secondly, with this discussion, secondly today, God already has the solutions to our problems. Did you see that in verse 6? What's it say at the very end of verse 6? For he himself knew what he would do. You mean he's already got it? He's got it figured out? Yes. Praise God. Thank you. We don't know what's going on, but he does. It's not as if God is making things up as he goes. God has things figured out even when we don't. Our only problem is that we don't know what his solution will be. Can you live with that? Can you live your life without knowing how God is going to make the difference and the answer is, yeah, you can. And by the way, you might have to. I've talked to many people about this concept, and I think I've shared it from this platform before. Sometimes we're in a place where we have to live a life of ambiguity. See, we like to have everything sorted out. We, we want to know the answers. You know, we go and order our burger, and I want fries with that now, you know, and but sometimes God says, no, you're not going to know the answer right now. You're going to have to live with some ambiguity. Matter of fact, you might need to choose to embrace the ambiguity. Can you do that? Could you, can you, we don't know the future. He does. Can you embrace the ambiguity of life that he can sort it out even though we can't? I hope so because that's, that's the whole issue of faith, isn't it? Resting in him and not in ourselves and our own understanding. Resting in his understanding. It really is a matter of when God will move, not a matter of if he'll move. And even when we don't know the future, we don't know how things will work out. We don't know if we will get the job or the promotion. We don't know if we will ever be well again. Or we don't know if we'll ever hear the other person say they're sorry. Or we'll never hear, or, I forgive you. Or... Not just living with ambiguity, but rather choosing to embrace it. God can handle it, and he is so worthy of our trust. Incidentally, letting God handle it doesn't mean that you will get everything you ever wanted, but rather it means that God will bring about that which is ultimately good for you. God already has the solutions to our problems. We need to be ready for the pop quiz. But thirdly today, God's economy is bigger than ours. 
We kind of bring God down to our level. We evaluate him and say, I don't think he can handle that. No, he's got it. He can handle it. First of all, here, God can overcome our insufficient funds. Notice what it said in verse 7. Philip answered him, well, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Do you think God can handle the cash flow on this problem? Yeah, he can. He can handle the cash flow. I don't know about you guys, but I've been broke several times in life. Uh, try starting a business from scratch, did that. Start, try starting a church from scratch, that's even more broke. Uh, <laughs> did that years ago. And I remember one time in the midst of our business startup over in Wisconsin, Kathy and I, you know, we just paid all our bills from the measly check that I'd just gotten. We're only about two years into it, and after I paid all the bills, there's no money left, and we don't have any groceries. We're broke. I remember we, Kathy and I were going to bed that night, and we are in tears. God, come on. Help. The next day, there was a card in the mail. It was an anniversary gift card, I think, for my parents, and for $50. It's like we won the lottery. But it was what we needed, and it was enough right when we needed it. God can handle this stuff. He can overcome our insufficient funds, but not only that, God can overcome our insufficient resources. One of his disciples in verse 8 says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Think about that. Five loaves of bread for over 5,000 and two measly fish. Incidentally, Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, you'll recall, and now he brings this little boy with his fish and his bread. Beloved, God can overcome our insufficient resources. How so? How is it possible that he can handle it? Why? Because he owns it all. It's all his. Psalm 50, for every beast of the forest is mine, God says. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all the... That moves in the field is mine, he says. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Not only does he own all the stuff, he owns all of us. It's his world, it's his creation. So when I come out and I see my smashed up car, it's your car. Apparently you want a dent in it today. Turns out I don't own anything, and I hate to break it to you, neither do you. <laughs> it's all his molecules. It's not yours. It's all his stuff. Any funeral I've ever done, I've, I've never done a funeral where there's, you know, the hearse is pulling a boat or the bank vault. Nope. You brought nothing in this world. You take nothing out other than the people you bring to Christ. Fourthly today, and don't miss this, God can handle all our difficult circumstances. He can. Isn't that the whole point of faith, trusting him? Yes. God can handle all our difficult circumstances, first of all here, as we follow his direction. It's at this point now in verse 10, you know, Jesus has set the stage, making it very clear how there doesn't seem to be enough, not enough resources, not enough cash. 
and he simply says, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And this is where we get this idea that if they're men and women and children, easily fifteen to 20,000 people. What is God calling you to do that you know you need to do? Here, hey, you got, everybody sit down. And they all sit down. So the men sat down, it says. What's God calling you to do? What piece of obedience do you need to complete? Where do you need to be faithful in keeping what he's called you to do? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to seek forgiveness from? What do you have that you need to return to someone? Wherein do you need to pursue righteousness in, the, in any area of weakness? What sin do you need to put away? To what degree should you be walking with Christ all the more? Are you abiding in his word? Are you following God's direction? Speaking this morning about the Shema, you've heard the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the word in Hebrew is Shema for the word hear. And we usually associate that if I'm, I need to listen up. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, is one God. But quite frankly, that word Shema in the Hebrew could easily be translated as obey. In other words, for the good Jew, if you're hearing it, you should be about it, you should be living it. Here in our culture, well, I'll hear it and maybe I'll think about it. I'll think it over and I'll get back to you. That's not how God sees it and what he expects. We need to be obedient, following his direction. Beloved, God can handle all of our difficult circumstances as we follow his direction. But secondly, as we thank him for his provision, it's at this moment that Jesus takes what's in front of him. He took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he He lifts them up before God, and he praises God, his heavenly Father, for the provision. And we go, well, this isn't enough. Yeah, I got that. I know that. But it's still his, isn't it? Here Jesus acknowledges his Father's provision. Notice how love and adoration exists within the Godhead, where the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Spirit loves the Father, the Son loves the Spirit. This is huge. And even... When it's just a little bit, we need to thank him for everything we have, including even our next breath, as we thank him for his provision. God can handle all our difficult circumstances. Thirdly here, as we receive his abundant supply. Jesus, he takes the loaves and he gives thanks and he distributes them to those who are seated so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When we read this, we go, well, this is a miracle. And so it was. How did five loaves and two fish turn out to be enough to feed thousands of people? But I'd like to remind you that all of life is an incredible miracle that is brought about by his hand. Are miracles really out of the ordinary from God's perspective? I just want to ever think about this What was normative for God before he created everything? I don't know. So when he creates anything at all, like all of existence that we know, isn't that a miracle? Therefore, the whole thing's a miracle that you're even here. Yeah, absolutely. 
You're, are you with me on this? The whole, you be, that, that you exist, that's a miracle. Okay. For a minute, I thought I was alone up here. Every day, the whole world is fed by God as the earth brings forth food for all. Of course, there is exceptions where greed and selfishness bring famine and starvation. I understand that. But nonetheless, the whole of creation and its sustainment is an outright miracle by God. All of existence is a miracle, an act of God, whereby he superintends and he sustains. It's even a miracle that you are even here today and that you're breathing and that you can even understand anything that's being said today. It's been my experience that God can satisfy immeasurably better. He can satisfy me in ways beyond my comprehension, way better than I can satisfy myself. He made me. He knows what will satisfy me, and the same is true for you. Beloved, God can handle all of our difficult circumstances as we receive his abundant supply. But fourthly here, as we exercise good stewardship over his provision, notice after everyone's fed in verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. This is stewardship. No waste. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. You ever think about this? 12 baskets. You kind of go, hmm. 12 baskets, 12 disciples. Oh. You mean each of the guys who are doing the work of the ministry all get to walk away with provision? It's brilliant. Ongoing provision for Jesus' team. The bottom line, everyone ended up receiving precisely what was needed and nothing was wasted. Beloved, we need to be good stewards, exercising good stewardship over his provision. We're not owners. We're only overseeing what he's provided. But lastly here, as we trust him in all things for the provision that he has for us, knowing full well that God can handle all of our difficult circumstances as we acknowledge him as the source of our provision. That's at this moment when all of a sudden the people start realizing what just happened. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. The people finally recognized that something divine was taking place. Something of God was happening in their midst. And they go, oh, this is the prophet. And you go, the prophet? What's that? Who's the prophet? Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses writes, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. In verse 18, I will raise up, God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. These people have been waiting for the prophet to show up. The prophet, yes, yeah, someone like Moses. Well, how is this anything like Moses? Moses fed the people in the wilderness with manna. Oh, light the bulb. I see. Is this, is he the one? What's the answer? Yes, he is. The one that was promised of old. The Messiah, the promised one. We see this mosaic significance 
Many of the people were recognizing that God was doing something. But as we'll see next week, the crowd's intentions were just not the Lord's intentions in just a short amount of time. Is it the prophet? They're going to turn on him. Stay tuned for next week. So my car's totaled in the parking lot. And the rest of the story that you don't know about is that Kathy and I were in the midst of buying a new house. And I didn't have enough money to make the down payment to buy the house. We weren't really sure how, it was gonna, how we were going to come up with that. I didn't know if I was going to have to have my dad co-sign for me or, you know, ask dad for a loan or something. But you know what? The insurance company totals the car, and it turns out it was exactly the amount of money that I needed to buy the house. Oh, isn't God awesome? I could have shaken my fist at him and go, why you cheater taking my car away, smashing it all in? Oh, by the way, did I tell you it was still drivable? It just looked horrible. By the way, that's really hard for an insurance guy to be driving around a dented car. But you know what? I had all the resources I needed to buy the house for my family. It was exactly what we needed when we needed it. And I could have been angry with God, but all the while he's trying to bless me. He's trying to take care of me through reallocating my resources in a unique, clever way. That's who he is. That's what he can do. He's God. Beloved, we need to be ready for those spiritual pop quizzes. He's already got the solutions to our problems. God's economy is bigger than ours. He can handle all our difficult circumstances. I don't know what you're going through right now, but that is the deal. He can handle it. Are you in a position where you'll be able to embrace the ambiguity of life sometimes? I hope so. Would you please stand with me as we close our service? You know, the call goes out for all of us. I just have a few questions I want to ask you before we pray. Are you ready for the next pop quiz? There's one coming. What solution do you need to trust God for? Have you cried out to him for what you're longing for? Have you given thanks for the provision that's in front of you? And will you trust him with your provision? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your outrageous goodness to us that we could even be here to consider these things. Lord, we thank you that you move in miraculous ways and that all of creation in its sustainment is a sheer miracle that we're even here today, that we can even reflect and comprehend these things. That's miraculous. All of existence is a sheer miracle from your hand. Lord, help us not to miss these things and to live in such a way as we go out into this world now for this week to demonstrate to those around us that we're living in a miracle. That you're, that you're completing and, and working in and you're working in us to perfect us, to complete us. Lord, for those who are right now in the middle of a, 
a difficult circumstance, a, a pop quiz of their own. Lord, I pray for their sustainment. I pray that you would uphold them, that you would encourage them. And even through this message, somehow they would be encouraged that you've got them. And even though we don't know how things are going to work out, we can trust you in those times of ambiguity. We don't know what's going to happen, but you do because you are our God. Lord, help us to rest in you. Help us to trust you. Help us to let you just be God because you are. Lord, thank you. We thank you for all that you've already done for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate provision, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our sin, my sin, he paid it all that we might have life, that we might be encouraged, that we might be forgiven, restored, renewed, justified, sanctified, all those things that you're doing in us. What incredible provision for us spiritually. Lord, may we drink deeply from all that you have for us. May we count it all joy in the process. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's wonderful, awesome name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.